Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, so here's what I want to do today. Um, I would love to just talk about preparing our hearts for Easter. There's this uh, story that Jesus gives us, and I want you to open up to John chapter 4. I'm not going to show you a lot of scripture on the screen. I want you to see it for your own in your Bible. So if you've got digital, you've got paper. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one sitting in the chair right in front of you. Find John chapter 4. I want to prepare our hearts because Jesus makes this really interesting statement that I'm not sure is simple. I think it's complex. And in John chapter 4, verse 23, it states this, Yet a time is coming, and this is Jesus speaking, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So if you got a paper Bible, just underline in there, true worshipers. There's these true worshipers, which means this, there must be not true worshipers, right? You're amazed at my English, right? Or fakes, or false worshipers, right? So just quick question, I mean, it concerns me a little bit that maybe if there's true worshipers and not true worshipers, do I ever fall into the category of not true worshiper? So here's my question for the morning. What does it mean to be a true worshiper? I think you have to understand the context for this story. So Jesus makes this very definitive statement, and I want us to talk about it so that we can have our hearts prepared for Easter, but also so that we might actually be right with God, be filled with God, and ready to live our lives for God. And if we walk away with that for today, what a gift that would be. Because Jesus says, yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Then he goes on to say this, God is spirit and his worshipers, they must. There's only three musts in the book of John. This is one of them. Top three things that John ever says. You must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me pause for just a minute. God, I don't want to mess this up. This is one of the top three things that John ever wrote about. And so God, because of that, I want to get this right. Would you open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word? And may our spirits fully engage in this moment with your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want to do. This didn't, Jesus didn't just randomly walk up and start speaking this truth. It happens in the context of a story. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk you through the story. And then there's two points that are related to the context that I think is about what a true worshiper, how they would think. And then there's three points that are about this statement about what it means to worship in spirit and truth. I'm just going to walk you through it this morning. So here's the story. Um, Jesus, he meets this Samaritan woman at an actual well where you would draw water from. And he's thirsty. So he asked this woman for a drink. Here's how this goes. Chapter 4, verse 7. Look in your own Bibles. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so he's there alone with this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's two things wrong with this. First of all is this, uh, Jesus is a Jew, she's a Samaritan, and they were at a social war. They're two groups of people, they're two cultures, they had these barriers. They're at a social war with each other. The Jews looked at the Samaritans like fakes and frauds. You're not really a worshiper of God because you don't even know who you worship. He would say that later on in this discussion. The second problem is this, Jesus is a man, she's a woman. In that day, as a single man walking up to a, a, a well like that, no one else around, there's a woman there, and you start talking to her, oh, no, no, that is against social protocol. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. She's, she's still thinking about water, water, physical water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. <laughs> she's still thinking about water, water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Seems like Jesus is being kind of rude to her, right? We're gonna come back to that in a moment. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews Claim, by the way, ancestors hurt the Samaritan people. Worship on this mountain. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The place where you worship doesn't matter. You Samaritans, though, worship what you do not know. Don't miss that. He's not saying like, hey, whatever you want to worship, wherever you want to worship, it all just doesn't matter. God is everywhere and is everything. Not what he's saying. He's saying, actually, the, the God that you worship, you don't even understand him. You don't know him. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for our salvation, for salvation is from the Jews. And then Jesus makes the statement, yet a time is coming and now has come, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. By the way, underline that they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is looking for a specific kind of worshiper. He's looking for a specific kind of person to follow him. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So here's our question. What does it mean to be a true worshiper? Two thoughts from the context of the story. Number one is this. True worshipers, true worshipers see God's family as bigger than their cultural barriers. What is Jesus pointing to at this? He's like, you've got a Samaritan woman and this Jewish savior of the world. I think he's pointing to Easter. He's pointing to his death and he's pointing to his resurrection. 
as God's way of providing a way for all people, both Jew and Gentile alike, to become true worshipers. One day, the cultural barrier that now separates us between Jew and, and, and Gentile, Jew and Samaritan, will no longer be present. The social barriers and the religious barriers of their upbringing were about to be torn down so that they could be united under one thing, the forgiveness that Jesus offers. For us, being Christians, I I think in our valley today, I think we have to make it really clear that being a Christian is greater than any social barriers, language barriers, differences in how we were raised, And it's one of the reasons why I love the fact that we are a multicultural church. We were a multicultural church before we ever had a Spanish church. We were a multicultural church because before we brought in a Vietnamese church and partnered with them. We ain't a white church. I'm a white pastor. I don't know if you noticed. But that doesn't make us a white church. And I will say this. My desire for our church is that we cross all kind of cultural, cultural barriers right here in this room. The only reason that we have a Spanish service and a Vietnamese service is not to cross cultural barriers. That's not it. It's to cross language barriers. Because in this room, I, I, we put culture as second. We all sit under the banner and the umbrella of the forgiveness that the death and the resurrection that Jesus brings, which is puts all of our culture secondary, all right? So what does this mean? The first is just this, true worshipers, I think we need to see God's family as bigger than our cultural barriers. The second is this, and this comes from the context of the story. True worshipers are broken people invited into the family of God. Do you remember, I just mentioned a minute ago, uh, when Jesus was being rude to the woman? He says, hey, would you go invite your husband? She says, I don't have one. He goes, I know. So he asked the question, knowing what the answer was, that you've had five, they've either burned through you or you've burned through them, and the guy that you're shacking up with right now ain't your husband. That could be considered incredibly unkind. I don't want you to miss this. He's not being mean, he's being merciful. Because in the context of a woman coming to God, for anyone coming to God, Jesus wants to put his finger on the most shameful part of her life to say, God still wants you as a worshiper. Don't don't miss this. He's calling out the very part of her that will feel unworthy of being loved by God. What if we did that today? He said, hey, I want to be a worshiper of God. Fantastic. I want you to share with me the ugliest part of your life. Well, pastor, why would I do that? That seems silly. Like, it's the very thing in my life that makes me feel unworthy, like God wouldn't want me. But he already sees it. If you come and say, I want to be a worshiper of Jesus, I want to be a worshiper of God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. If I want to be a worshiper, and yet you ignore the brokenness of your life, That means we're pretending. We're pretending that maybe we're worthy, maybe we're good enough to be loved by God. Oh, if he knew everything about me, he does. 
and he loves you anyways. Jesus in this moment is being merciful to say, I know all of your brokenness and you would have never told me unless I called you out by it, but I'm just letting you know that God loves you in your absolute brokenness. By the way, it doesn't mean that once you meet Christ that we try to continue in our brokenness, but can I say this? Perfection is only the other side of heaven. Here's the really hard thing, I think, is once you know Jesus, to be honest about your brokenness and to bring it to Jesus and say, God, this is still who I am. I know I said I never would or, you know, not one more time will I or I've given that up, God, but for some reason, every time I keep letting go of that, it clings back onto me and and I can't seem to get rid of it. So God, I'm going to confess this for the millionth time again, knowing that there's probably failure in my future. But to be honest about that kind of brokenness before your God, it's like, yeah, that's actually what it means to be a true worshiper of God. Number one, we look over our cultural barriers, put them as seconds. The second thing is we have to admit that we are broken. Question, the application for our church, is that who we invite to church? Is that how we see ourselves? Um. If you have a history that you're embarrassed by, do you really truly believe that God loves you no matter where you've been? Because that's the gospel, that he died for all of that. Do you think that you can out his grace? Do you think you need a greater gift than the death of Jesus on the cross because your sins are so big? If he... It's, it's not almost, it's rude to God for us to go, you know, I, you won't love me. I mean, you, this is what I've done. What bigger sacrifice does he have to make than his son's life taken from, excuse me, given up by Jesus on the cross? His life wasn't taken from him. He gave it up. Do we understand our brokenness and in the midst of that understand how much God loves us? What does it mean to be true worshipers? I want to get to this statement where Jesus says, they must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to be true worshiper? Number three, it means true worshipers are anchored to the truth. And it's the truth about two things. Um, It's this very simple statement that contains a dividing line for those who are true worshipers and those who are false worshipers. So we have to be anchored in the truth, and the truth about this first thing, it's the reality of who God is. At the very beginning of this uh, discussion with this woman, uh, Jesus reveals something to her that he hasn't even told his disciples yet. And it's, it's actually at the, let me, let me see, it's at the very end. I didn't even read it. Look at verse 25, chapter 4. The woman said, at the very end of this whole discussion, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, listen, he's about to say something he's never even told anybody. He's never even told his disciples. He's going to reveal this big truth, first of all, in the book of John, to a woman who is a Samaritan. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the one who's going to reveal who God is. I'm going to be, John will state this later on, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. 
So I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says you have to worship in spirit and in truth. Let's tackle the truth part. The truth is we have to know who God really is. True worshipers of God must worship in truth. Truth matters. We don't get to make up our own truth about who God is. We can be as sincere as we want, but if we worship, if our worship is not anchored in the historical truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then we are not true worshipers of God. Here it is. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Jesus claimed to be the savior of the world. Jesus claimed his death would pay for sins of the world. Jesus claimed he would come back to life three days after his death. Jesus claimed that to worship God, we must believe in him. Jesus claimed the only way to God is through him. So we can be sincere about worshiping a God that doesn't need Jesus. Listen to this, listen to this. We can be sincere, fully believe that the God that we worship doesn't actually need Jesus. There's all kinds of religions in the world that don't need Jesus to believe what they're proclaiming. Those people, what Jesus is saying, to worship in truth means this. You're not truly worshiping the God of this world. Not the God of this universe. You are worshiping something that is fake and false. Not all religions lead to God. Jesus is saying, I'm giving my life, dying on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. I am God's son. I'm gonna prove it to you by signs and wonders and miracles and the resurrection itself. If that's not enough for you and you're gonna worship someone else other than through Jesus, your sincerity doesn't matter because you first have to worship in truth. Sincerity just means that we're actually sincerely wrong. Here's the second reality, the second part of this truth. True worshipers are anchored to the truth in this way. It's the reality of who we are. It's the reality of who we are. Uh, Jesus brought up this woman's past so that it could be forgiven. We can't approach Jesus with this flimsy idea that we're pretty good people who need help. That's not the gospel. You realize that we're not pretty good people who need help? We're broken people. We're sinful people who need saving. That's very different. Because it's, I don't know, we kind of like to approach God like, I'm all right, right? I mean, I'm pretty decent. I'm a good person who needs some help. Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you want to worship me, be a true worshiper, and you have to worship in truth, The truth is this, you don't need help. You need a savior. You're totally broken. You have sin in your life. If you don't think you have sin in your life, the Bible calls that arrogance. That's a sin. Welcome to the club. It's the reality of who we are. Jesus told this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would be asking him and he would have given you living water. We just don't want to approach Jesus and deny that our souls aren't thirsty. Are you with me? What he's saying is, listen, listen, if you really understood the truth, you'd be like, my soul is so thirsty because it's so empty and it's so broken and I'm so dry inside. Jesus, would you give me this to drink? That is the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who we are combined in this one. So worshipers of God must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, are you with me still? Now I'm gonna get to something. It's a little bit more difficult. 
What does it mean to be true worshipers? Point number four is this. True worshipers authentically, authentically engage their spirit in worship rather than doing a heartless spiritual act. I got to really explain what this means. Um, how many of your Bibles, when I read to you the main text that we're in, it, when it reads, it says, true worshipers must worship in the spirit. Raise your hand if it says the spirit. You're not even looking at your Bibles. You're looking at me. And when I put it in your text in the notes there, I actually put it in parentheses, the, because I typically teach from the NIV, okay, the divinely inspired New International Version translation. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, I think they got it wrong. You, no, no, I'm not calling the Bible wrong, okay, stay with me. But in the original Greek language in which this was written by John, there's no definite article. There's no the in the text. It says, those who worship me must worship in spirit, not in the spirit. Must worship me in spirit and truth. They're making a theological decision when they translate the Greek text to say this. In the spirit refers to what? The, is the Holy Spirit. Like, hey, when you worship God, you must worship in the Holy Spirit. What, What does that mean? I think it means this. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you can't worship God. Well, that's just correct theology. Isn't that already covered by worshiping in truth? Meaning this, if you're not worshiping through Jesus, then you're not actually worshiping God. You're worshiping a false God. To say in, if you're not worshiping in the Spirit, That assumes like there's this, John in chapter four has already kind of created this like whole theology of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you receive Jesus, then you actually receive the Holy Spirit inside you. So you have to worship in the Spirit. Are you with me right now? This is a theological statement that the translators are making. This is way too early to have this kind of like a a full theology of the Holy Spirit and how you receive it or the fact that you absolutely do receive it when you receive Jesus. I don't think that's what he's saying. The Greek says... Worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Whose spirit then is he referring to if it's not the Holy Spirit? It's your spirit. It's my spirit. That when you worship, authentically your spirit has to engage in connecting with the Spirit of God. This is where it gets difficult. Because question, how do you know? How do you know that when you sit down to your daily devotions in your morning, that your spirit is connecting with God? How do you know that when you sing worship songs on your own, driving in your car, like morning and in prayer, like that your spirit's connecting with God? How do you know that when you're in this room and you walk in and we start praying, you start singing, that your spirit is fully engaged authentically in connecting with God? Because this is a big deal. True worshipers, so you're not a false worshiper, must worship in spirit and in truth. I was studying this passage a couple weeks ago, and I went to journal in my journal, because that's where I journal. (laughs) And it took me 10 minutes to write a sentence. 
My mind was like, oh, look, a squirrel. Oh, later today I have to. Oh, my phone just went off. And nothing. I, I don't know if you've been here. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, I guarantee you've been here. Your heart is not connecting with God. You're doing your daily devotions because it's the right thing to do. And somewhere in the midst of it, you're just like, I just got to get done with this and get about my day. Have you ever been there? I get so disappointed with myself. I try not to beat myself about it, right? God, I'm here at least today. I'm trying to connect with you and I'm totally incapable of it right now. And I get so frustrated with myself, like, God, how come my spirit cannot connect with you in a real way? Now, be very clear on this. I'm not a fan of emotionalism. You know, worship is, I just got to cry. And then I know I've connected with God. There's entire branches of the Christian faith that are all about emotionalism. You just got to be emotional about it all. What's funny is there's so many people that live and work in San Jose, you are not wired that way. You're like, I don't know what my emotions are. I ask my wife what I'm feeling. And not to be sexist, some of you women are like, no, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'll ask my husband. See, no one laughs at that, right? It's just not as true as often. I'm not a fan of this emotionalism because our our worship has to be anchored not just in the spirit, but in truth. What is true? You can wake up and go, I don't feel like a Christian today. So what? What's the truth? that is revealed in the scriptures. Because the truth is, if you believe in Jesus and you've given your life to him, you've been baptized, you're a believer. He's with you. You have to convince yourself every day that the truth, that Jesus is alive, you can have a living relationship with him, and he is living inside you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth. Anchor your lives on the truth, amen? But there's a branch that is all about the intellectual truth. And they study and they study and they study and they're masters of the truth. You know who knew the Old Testament better than anyone? In Jesus' day, the Pharisees. And Jesus looked at them and they're like, man, you guys are just, you're all white and clean on the outside, like whitewashed tombs and you're full of dead man's bones because your hearts are far from me. True worshipers. You gotta worship not only in truth, but you gotta worship in spirit. That means your heart's gotta be attached to it. Have you ever sat down to read something that is true about the word of God and you're connecting with God in the scriptures? But but the but the problem is this your heart's not actually in it. Here's what I'm afraid of for myself. I'm afraid that there's moments where I'm worshiping in truth and I'm not really worshiping in spirit and I'm struggling. So in your notes there, is it the Holy Spirit or our spirit, meaning the sincerity of our hearts? I think it's the sincerity of our hearts. But I want to be really, really clear about this because I'm going to lean into Isaiah 66 too. These are the ones I look on with favor. This is God's favor. You want God's favor? You want his approval? You want his, his, his connection? 
It's those who are humble and contrite. What does that word mean? It means expressing remorse. Humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. It's not about going to the right place to say the right things and go through the right motions because you can show up at church. You can bring the biggest Bible in the whole, you can have the biggest Bible in the whole church. You walk in the door and you're like, look, I got a big Bible. I walk in and not only that, I'm early for service. The rest of the sinners in the room, they're late. I was here early. And you can sing the right songs in a loud voice. And you can go to our tables and you can eat the right bread and drink the right juice and sing the right songs and say amen at the right times. And yet is your heart seriously connected with the heart of God? Where there's remorse over our brokenness and joy over the things that make him happy? Intellectualism and relying on that is wrong emotionalism and just trying to get wound up in church. It's not enough. True worshipers, they must worship in spirit and in truth. Last final question for you. Is our worship all within our control or is it a gift? (laughs) So as I'm sitting there having this Devotional time, realizing that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth, and I'm super distracted, incapable of connecting my heart to God? Do I just, okay, I'm going to focus. I'm going to try harder. Here we go. And I'm still distracted. And I'm still anxious. Let me be really clear in my answer to this question, because some of you are wondering, like, I don't even really know what the answer is. I think it's both. I think the consistency with, with, with which we show up with God matters. Can it help me connect my spirit with God? Yes, 100%. If I leave my phone in the other room so that all I have in front of me is God's word, will I be less distracted? 100%. If I, when I get distracted, I just say, God, this is to you. I like, would you take that anxiety from me? Can I focus more? Yes, I think I can. But is it all up to me? So that today, what I've conveniently done is just shamed you all and how you're spending time with God to question whether you're actually connecting with him. That would be foolish. Can I simply say this? I think it's a gift from God too. The truth is he lives in you. He loves you. In your darkest, worst, most horrible place, like this woman on the well that she felt with Jesus, she was invited to connect with Jesus and eventually with God. To be a true worshiper of God, we got to worship in spirit and in truth. And I think the reality is, is we can bend our knee to God and say, God, I'm not fully capable of doing this. I believe all the right things. I've committed my life to you. But God, in my heart, in my spirit, the place where my, my will is, I don't always will you. The place where I feel, I don't always feel you. God, would you help me? And I think that's where I want to leave us today. To have a heart prepared for Easter. To have a heart prepared to engage with God. 
to have a heart where you will invite people who might not be like you. We need to have the heart of God. But that only comes through worshiping in spirit and in truth. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want to pray, invite our band out. The worst thing I could do at this moment is pray a prayer and walk off this stage and not invite you, challenge you to engage your heart in this matter. And sometimes I think I just got to mess with you a little bit as you're getting ready to pray. And what I mean by that is this. Sometimes our posture will help us connect our heart to God. Would you do this right now? If you're physically able to do this, um, would you just turn around in your seat and kneel on the floor? I know, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. You don't have to. Nobody else is looking around. Just bow your heads. We're going to pray. But I think in sometimes in just kneeling before God, it might awaken our souls if our bodies are postured in the way that our hearts want to be before God. So, Lord, we're on our knees because we need you. We're not good people who need help. We're people who struggle with sin, who need a savior. And God, even after we're saved, (laughs) to walk daily with the resurrected Jesus, God, we struggle with that. We have days of tremendous joy. And we have days of tremendous desperation. God, we have days of boredom. And we fail to realize that you're the God of a great adventure that you've called us to. Lord, forgive us. God, awaken our souls. Let us not give in to laziness, God. And instead of listening to my prayer, would you pray your own prayer right now? Maybe loud enough for your own ears to hear. And ask God that your heart might be reawakened to the heart of God, that you might truly be a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. Use your own words in this. And God, I thank you for the resurrection, the proof that you're a living God who is with us. And we would ask that you would continue to lead us, God. That we would submit to you and your power and your way for us. Lord, would you have your way with this church? And we bow to that. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.